never, I've never um, gone to one of our retreats and walked away going, man, I just really wasted that weekend. It's always good. It's always connecting. The guys get to know each other. <clears throat> we eat very well the whole time, and uh, it's just a good time. So I'm telling you that for next year, guys. So I, uh, <clears throat> I've been, uh, the last two or three weeks, I've been in airports a lot. I've been um, going all over the place. And uh, I saw something this last week um, on CNN. The, the reason I say that is because the only place CNN is played now is in airports. <clears throat> it's not played in people's homes. It's not played anywhere but airports. And so I saw this, um, I saw this little uh, blurb, and it just caught me as really funny. Because CNN was, was, was very, the, the commentators were very uh, nervous, upset, that uh, Elon Musk was buying Twitter. And this is what they said. This is dangerous for our country because Twitter can sway elections. I was like, yeah, we've seen it happen. So, um, but that's okay because now that the government has lost Twitter as, as an arm of the uh, liberal misinformation, um, they've started their own. You guys heard about this? They started their own department of false information correcting or something like that. I don't mind. But uh, this, this is the thing is, is um, guys, I, don't, I, don't, I know different people look at this different, but when I see that, when I see a government department going to try to tell us what we're supposed to believe and what we're not supposed to believe, that's Nazism. That's straight out of um, Animal Farm. Think about this. If you don't know what Animal Farm is, by the way, it's a book. You need to read it. All right, so I do get questions um, about the uh, Russia-Ukraine thing. I'm just going to um, keep saying, I am going to do a message about this. I realize that there needs to, I, I need to do this. But just to keep you focused on this, <clears throat> um, what is going on right now with Russia and Ukraine? People are asking, is this end times? Is this battle of Gog, Magog, that kind of thing? Okay, um, this is what it is. Right now, it's kind of ambiguous as to what it would be uh, scripturally, okay? Uh, the, scriptural, the scriptural context right now is wars and rumors of war out of Matthew 24, right? It's not, it's not we're not to the uh, battle of Gog and Magog yet. Um, the way you'll know battle of Gog and Magog is you watch uh, Russia and, um, you watch Russia and Iran together. When Russia and Iran get together and their sites are no longer just countries around like the Ukraine and stuff like that, it's, 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 it's horrible enough right now. I'm not trying to make light of what's going on right now. But I'm, I'm specifically saying the end time concept of this is when Russia and Iran start having their sights set on um, Israel. That's when you pay attention because that's Ezekiel 38. Okay? So um, until then, we can kick back, take it easy. There's no stress, pressure. Or anything like that. <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you a story this morning. I haven't told it for quite a few years. And I think right after I got here 10 years ago, I told some, maybe not all, but at least most of this story. <clears throat> and I want to tell the whole thing this morning, but I want to preface it with some stuff. Because I want you going to, I want you to listen to the story with the right mindset, the right ears. Okay. Um, here's, here's what I know. 
is God wants to do supernatural things through every one of us in this building, to, for us, to us, and through us as we pray for other people. That we, have to, we have to get to that point of knowing that that is true. I, I, I try to teach and preach this on a regular basis and say things, but I also know that a lot of our theology when it comes to this comes from um, our experience. It doesn't come from Scripture. A lot of, a lot of our theology... Of, of God doing supernatural things, healing, miracles, and stuff like that comes from what we've experienced. Well, I have 51 years of plenty of experience of God not doing stuff. But that's, that's, that really is just me. That's my existence. That's not the Word of God. The Word of God tells us all the things that God does and how He does it and, and how big He is and all these kind of things. And what we do is we live <clears throat> theologically. We develop a theology. Theology is the study of God or the knowledge of God. We build a knowledge of God according to what we experience or what we don't experience, what happens or what doesn't happen, rather than what God's Word says, and even including things that actually do happen to us in a, in a supernatural way, but we, but we forget that because it's uh, maybe few and far between, and which, which, by the way, I don't think it's as few and far between as what we think. I think God's doing stuff with us all the time, and I think he's doing miracles in our life and protecting us and keeping us and showing us stuff because another thing that I strongly believe is that God wants to speak to us, every one of us in this room. He wants to speak to us, and he wants to do that on a regular basis, but if we, if we live our life according to all the times he hasn't, then, then that's our theology. That's our knowledge of God. Instead of our knowledge of God or our, our theology coming from actually God, his word, and uh, what he tells, tells us. And so, so think to yourself, what do you need God to do right now? You need God to do miracles. You need God to do things in our physical bodies and relationship and in mindset and in, um, in finances. You can go right down the line. There's things that we need God to do that we cannot do by ourselves. We don't have the ability um, it is outside of our scope, and we need God to do that. That's, that's the basic starting point for what a miracle is, is we can't, but God can. And, um, and, and so here's the question. What, who does he choose? Who does he choose to do miracles with, and who does he not choose? And here's some of my experience over the years. I'm saying for me, not my experience with people, but with me, is I always kind of put myself at the bottom of the list. I have no problem praying for other people and having faith for people. I have top-shelf faith for people. And then somewhere we get to me, and my faith is um, struggling, right? Specifically, if I've prayed about this over and over and over. It's something I maybe spend years praying about. Okay, so why does God, who does God choose and how do you do this? Well, one of the things you're going to see through, through this this morning is, and I really believe this is, the, this is basically the foundation, the criteria for all this stuff, is just pursue God. When you pursue God, it's amazing what he does. Right. Now, the, the, the struggle we have is, well, God didn't do this. And, and I, I would say a lot of times, we're not actually pursuing him. We're asking him for some things, but that's not the same. Even though God does answer uh, requests just because we're asking. But it's that pursuit, it's that relationship that he desires. It's that closeness, it's that... It's, so here's the thing, he wants to, he wants to speak to you. But what does he have to shout over to get to you in, in your world and in your life? I'll pick on a, this is a good thing, but I'll pick on it. Um, and, I, and again, I think it's a good thing. 
uh, worshiping, listening to worship music, doing on the praying while you're listening to worship music. But I also believe that there needs to be the times when you shut everything off, including the worship music. What is speaking to you? Is it elevation worship or, or Bethel or Hillsong or is it the Holy Spirit? Who's speaking to you at this point? What, what's going into your ears? What's going into your mind and your spirit? You say, well, it's about God. That's the difference. It's about God and it can even be from God. But there's a difference between that and God just speaking to you. Okay, just speaking, all right? So Mark chapter 10. One day some parents. Who are these parents? We don't know. That's important. We don't know who these parents are. He doesn't tell us. And that's not really the point. Jesus listens to them, answers them, connects with them. It's irrelevant who they are. Are they, um, are they spiritually mature people or not? Are they important people or are they not? Are they are they pastors or missionaries? I've, I've thought that over the years. This is the weird thing is I've, I've thought that about others. I don't even think about myself. I've, I've been a pastor now for almost 32 years, but I never put myself in that category when I'm thinking about this. God listens to holy people like pastors and missionaries and stuff like that, right? You ever think something like that? And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, but you're a pastor. Yeah, I guess I am, huh? See, it, it just says Parents. Doesn't, we don't know anything about these people. Are they important or not? Societally, we don't know. To Jesus, 100% yes. That's it. That's all it takes. You, that'll make a little more sense as I get down through this, okay? One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples, parenthetical insertion here, the church leaders, the people that knew the stuff, the people that felt like it was their job to tell others what Jesus was thinking, those people scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. I've had many, many people over the years come to me, because I say that sometimes, you know, God gets mad at us. And I've had people come to me like rebuke me. Um, Jesus doesn't get mad at his kids. Oh, yeah, he does. Here's one time when it literally says it. He got mad. He got angry with the disciples. Why? Because they were being idiots. The same reason he gets mad at you. Not me. But it's the reason he gets mad at you. Because why? We're kids that do stupid things and God gets angry with us. Now don't confuse that with a human type of anger that has some kind of... Um, a retribution that's not healthy or whatever the case is. God's anger is a righteous anger, and he gets angry because we're not really getting it. We're not getting there. We're not listening. We're not understanding, and we're doing things within ourselves. And almost every time, in my, in my understanding of Scripture, and I've, and I've studied this a lot. I'm just giving a little bit of opening. Maybe I'm wrong here. I think every single time I have found in the New Testament when Jesus gets angry at somebody, it's church people. It's not lost people acting lost. He knows they're going to act that way. He expects them to act that way. And then he tells them truth and love. He tells them this is wrong, but he doesn't get angry. The people he get ang gets angry at and he rebukes them and he's sarcastic to them and all this other stuff is always church people. Why? It's always the basic common denominator. Because we're doing religion instead of serving him. We're doing religious ideas, and we're, and we're usually um, hindering other people through our religious ideas, 
And Jesus is not okay with that, and he's never going to be okay with that. Religiosity kills us, and it harms people. It harms new Christians. And so we see where he says this. Um, He gets angry with his disciples, and he says, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. He's talking about adults. Anytime I teach and preach on healing, and and, um, specifically healing, but God doing the supernatural, and I go over this in in great detail um, in one of the sessions in the journey that I do at my house, is I I always try to end it with, I go through all this scripture, all this stuff, and then the end is, this is how I deal with this. I work as hard as I can when it comes to the supernatural, God doing miracles and healing and stuff like that. I work as hard as I can to be as naive as possible. I work at this. Why? Because I've got a whole life of God can't. I need to let that go and have a a mentality and a life of God can. That comes from his word. This comes from my experience. I got to see my granddaughter these last couple weeks when we were, my my daughter graduated from college. Um, And she specifically told me, she said she would like to have a conversation with every single one of you individually about where she's going to go next. And what her ministry is going to be. She told me. She said, Dad, please ask everybody to ask me that question. So I was there. I got to see my granddaughter. And I'm holding her up in the air. And I'm picking her up. And she's like, pick me up higher, faster. And all of a sudden, so I was kind of tossing her in the air a little bit. And, uh, and I said to her, do you think there's a huge big oak tree beside us? I said, do you think I can throw you over that tree? She said, yes. <laughs> this is where God wants us to get to. I'm serious. This is what it's talking about. I'm not, I'm not making a, this is not a joke or something. This is real. When God says, do you think I can? The answer is yes. That's the answer. But man, we've got so much experience that tells us he can't. We've got to get to a point, and that's what he's saying. Get to a point where you're like a child, where you can do anything, God. You can do anything. Can I heal your cancer? Yes. Like a child. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. Wouldn't you like to, Jesus to do that to your kids? Physically put his hand on their head and bless them. You know what? I would also like him to do that to my parents' kids. Right? Don't you? Jesus put his hand on your head. I want to be prayed for anytime somebody wants to pray for me. But Jesus to put his hand on my head and to bless me? But here's the, here's the reality that we miss. Is that's what he wants to do all the time every day. We miss that because we get caught up in our, in our, in our faith walk, which is not bad. I'm not trying to attack you know, how we look at Jesus and stuff like that. But, guys, we can get old and duffy in our, in our Christian walk. That's right. Get old and stove up in our, in our Christian walk. That's not what he wants. He wants to be excited and, and having fun. And, and, and I love it. We, got to, we hadn't seen our grandkids in a long time, so I'm still excited. But when, I, when we stepped out and we saw them, they both come running up to me. Ah, this happening. Ah, and then by the time they get there, I'm going, ah, you know, because I'm just as excited. Don't, don't you think, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, this is not a joke. I'm serious. Don't you think Jesus wants that from us? Just, just open arms, just run at him, hoping you can knock him down. That's, that's what he wants from us. 
But that takes a certain thought process and a mindset. And we've got to get to a point where we ask the question, can Jesus do something big in my life or does he want to? The answer's got to be yes. Why would, why would he choose somebody else over you? What makes somebody else important over you? Why would he do something for somebody in the New Testament but not for you? you got to get that in your spirit. He wants to do something for me. For me. A couple of things to begin with here. First is that Jesus cares about my, your children. He does. He cares. He cares more than you do. That can be pretty, pretty a lot sometimes, right? He can care. There, there was only one time that I went up to the school to, for, for one of my kids, was my oldest. And I went up and I, I tore that principal in half. He was so out of line, as were two of his teachers. I had never, and, and you always are doing stuff. I just don't think that his parents were supposed to be up at the school all the time complaining, okay? Um, get, on, get on the school board. <laughs> That's how you do it. And uh, but so but this one time I just, and, and I thought you know Jesus is more concerned about this than I am. I wanted to tell that principal you better be lucky I'm the one dealing with you and not Jesus. And I don't think he would have understood what I was saying. So As, we got to start with Jesus cares. Cares about you. Cares about your children. Cares about your life. Okay. The second thing is that Jesus really wants us to have a, a faith like a child. Very naive. You have to choose it. You have to work at that. You have to work at Jesus being as big as he was the first time you had that revelation. You have to work at that. It's not easy. Life, life will beat that out of you. And you've got to work at that. So I want to tell you um, this story. <clears throat> so I was, uh, <clears throat> I was 25 years old. Um, Jonathan, our oldest, was 19 months. And... Um, Linda was about seven, seven and a half months pregnant with, um, with Isaac, our second, who was here in first service. Um, he's, he works nights now, so <laughs> first service is more attractive. But um, the reason I say that is he's 26 now. That's important to remember through this story, okay? So I, I'm a youth pastor of a church, and, I, and I, my sleeping patterns, habits have always been very strange. I'll sleep for a couple hours, and I'll wake up for three or four hours, and then I'll sleep for a couple hours. And I do that. I do that. Most of my life, I've done that. It's not a negative thing to me. I don't dislike it. Um, in fact, waking up in the middle of the night is actually a nice thing. It's quiet. Just the, the low rumble of my wife snoring is all that is happening um, in the room. And uh, it's dark. There's nobody around. Nothing. And I just lay there and pray. Years ago, I decided I wasn't going to watch TV during that time, because I think that's a bad habit to get into, and, uh, and it can be very habitual, and so, so um, I, I do that, I did it then, I do it now, I just pray during that time, well, back then, I was a lot more, I was a lot younger, and I was a lot more hyperactive, and stuff like that, so when I would be laying there praying, um, I would get up, and I would go up to the church to pray, and, uh, and some people get scared in a church in the middle of the night, I'm one of those people. But, uh, but not always, just every now and then. But most of the time, there, it's very serene. There's something very calming about just being in the church by yourself. Nobody's there. Two o'clock in the morning, I can walk, I can pray, I can pray loudly, I can worship, I can shout, I can kneel down, I can cry, I can do whatever I want. Nobody's around. And I would do this often. I did this a lot, okay? Nowadays, I don't get up and go anywhere. I just lay in my bed. I figure my chances of going back to sleep are better. 
And so I got up, went up to the church, and I began to do just like I always do. I just pray, and I walk through the seats, and I pray. Um, That's why this service, um, the the fuller this service has gotten, you guys are bopping all over the place, and you're not getting prayed for as much. You just need to know that. When you switch seats, I don't remember who you are. And so um, if you want to be blessed by God, sit in the same seat every week. That's how that works. But I'm just walking through the seats, and I'm praying for people, and praying for the church, and praying for the, the missionaries, praying for the pastor, praying for the board, praying for the youth. Spent a lot of time praying for every single teenager in the youth group. And, and, um, and, and while I was doing that, I kept uh, feeling drawn to pray for my family. And so I would start praying for my family. Now, for you guys that, um, that pray regularly and pray very intentionally, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And if you do not understand what I'm talking about here, you need to make some switches in your life and become much more intentional about your prayer time and, and uh, much more focused on your prayer time and put some length to it, okay? Two or three minutes at a time is not going to get you where you need to go. You need to be in the presence of God. You've got to pursue God. You've got to get there. So it takes time. And, and, uh, but when I, when I got to praying for my family at this point, the Holy Spirit just ignited that prayer. Okay, you understand what that feels like? You know what I'm saying? All right, again, if you don't, pray until that happens. Pray about things until you sense that, and you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. And, I, and, I, and I'm encouraging you strongly to do that. This, this is what prayer life should be about. And so I get to my family, and I'm praying for my family. And, at that, and, and what I'm thinking at that point is, um, you know, bless Linda, bless Jonathan, and Cletus the fetus. Um, I, that's all I got, right? Because I don't think we had named him at that point. We actually changed his name um, after he was born, what we originally were going to name him. And so, so I'm just praying, but I wasn't really thinking about the little baby. I was thinking more about Linda and Jonathan. And, and so, <clears throat> so I'm praying. The Holy Spirit would just ignite those prayers, and I would spend time praying. And then I would start to move back to what I was praying for, the, all the other stuff. I was going to you know, switch gears and pray for the other stuff. And as soon as I'd start to do that, I felt very strongly the Holy Spirit just kind of like pull me back and say, pray for your family. Okay, so I'd pray for my family. Again, immediately the Holy Spirit would begin to anoint and ignite those prayers. And I would spend quite a bit of time doing that. That happened about three or four times. And finally, I just kind of gave up and I just prayed for my family, um, which nowadays I understand how to, how to listen better. I understand how to get in that vein. When you get in that vein and you feel the Holy Spirit... Doing that, stay there until that changes. I didn't know that then. I thought, well, that was good. We had a good time, and then I would move on. And finally, after about third or fourth time, I finally just prayed for my family, and I just was pleading the blood of Jesus over my family, and God protect us and anoint us and all this other stuff. And about two hours later, um, I um, I I feel that I feel like I finished, and I was released from that. It was you prayed about this. And, I, and it was good, so I moved on. I prayed a little bit, and then I was, it's early in the morning, and I often did this, too. I had a lazy boy in my office. I'd go in there, and I'd go to sleep for an hour or two um, until uh, everybody got to the church, and the office was opened up and everything. So I go in there, and I go to sleep. Now, with everything else I'm about to say, I know this sounds silly that this happened, but you got to go with me for a little bit. This is really what happened. I f- forgot that I had been praying all night and that God had said, I'm going to take care of your family. God succinctly um, showed me he's going to take care of my family. He put that deep in my spirit. 
and almost to the point where it's audible, I'm going to take care of your family. So I went to sleep, and then I forgot about that. And um, a little bit later, I don't know how much, it wasn't too long, I'm, I'm awakened by uh, my secretary just beating my door down, banging loudly on my door, get up, get up, get up. She knew I did this. There was often times she would come in there, and, and, um, and, I, and I'd, I was asleep in the chair. And uh, so she's banging on the door, get up, get up. So I jump up, and I'm kind of, you know, just woke up. And, uh, and I'm confused. She said, it's Linda, come on. So I grab my keys. Now, now she's got my adrenaline pump, and I'm scared, whatever. I don't know what it's Linda means. And so we jump in the car. I jump in my car. She gets in hers, and we, we take off to the house. She pulls up behind me. I go rushing in the door, and uh, Linda is, is not doing good in there. Our, our secretary came in behind me. She took Jonathan, grabbed some clothes, did some stuff, and then she said, I'll take Jonathan. I'll get out of the way. You guys go. And um, Linda had had an abruption. And um, if you don't know what that is, look it up. I am not going to describe it. But from what I could visually see, I was horrified. Um, she was losing a lot of blood. And uh, she, we thought she had already lost Isaac. And so we pack up and we head up to the hospital and get to the hospital. And, and we, we call a friend of ours, our secretary, Calls for, this is pre-cell phone, by the way. So our secretary calls um, the, a friend of ours. He was a board member of the church, still, still a lifelong friend to this day. He's a very good friend of mine. Um, but he was the CFO of the hospital. So when we drive to the hospital, there's like six doctors and 40 nurses. The doors are wide open. They have wheelchairs sitting there, you know, everybody on, uh, on deck kind of thing. And, uh, and they, and they uh, rush Linda in, and they start prepping her for surgery. Uh, they're going to have to take Isaac. Immediately, Isaac is, um, we're not getting heartbeats and things like that. I mean, it's really, it was really nervous, really scary kind of stuff. And so they, they prepare for an emergency C-section. They start gowning me up and uh, scrubbing me up. <clears throat> and the reason is because I watch surgeries. When my wife has surgeries, I watch them. Um, because why? I'm paying to watch this. And so... And that's the conversation I have with the doctor. And so they, they, when by the time I get in there, Linda is already cut open. They're, they're pulling Isaac out, and he is five weeks premature. Um, he, it, he could literally, I set him in my hand while he was in the ICU, and his head was here, and his feet were right there. That's how big he was. Very, very tiny, um, scary tiny, right? And so... Um, this, this is taking, all this is taking a lot of time to get from one step to the next step. But uh, so then they're, they're trying to get, um, they're trying to get Isaac breathing. They're trying to get him uh, responding healthily and a lot of stuff like that. And it's not going well. And so finally they come to us and say, uh, we need to, we're, we're in Atlanta, Texas, which is by Texarkana. And uh, Shreveport, Louisiana is an hour plus away. And they said, we need to take him to Louisiana. They have one of the best neonatal ICU units in the country right there. And the doctor that runs that actually developed the first ever portable neonatal ICU unit. For everything I'm hearing, I'm like, thanks, God. And um, so they come in and they take Isaac and they, they put him in. This is after 
spending hours with him. Put him in there, and they start to, um, to take him to the, to, out to the ambulance. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth between where they're working on Isaac and Linda because she j- literally is just now, they just now sewing her up, coming out of surgery, um, and she'd been laying there for a little bit, but not, she's still coming out of surgery. And so I go in there, and I'm talking to her, and they, they come to us, and they say, we need to take Isaac to Shreveport. Uh, we're doing all this and all this. So they bring him by in this, in this little portable unit um, and to Linda, and they say to Linda, um, well, here's Isaac, we're going to take him. And we realize at this moment that this is potentially the last time Linda could see Isaac. Um, this is really very, very touch and go. And uh, so this is very difficult for both of us, difficult for me. She sticks her hand in the uh, little unit, and she's playing with Isaac and talking to him, telling him, praying for him. And then, um, then they start to take him away. Now, I'm standing there with a, a dilemma. My wife has just had an emergency surgery, and she's not even doing that great. And they're taking my son um, an hour and a half away. What do I do? And uh, Linda's going, you got to go with Isaac. you got to go with Isaac. And, and, I, and in my heart, in my, in my head, I'm thinking, whichever one I go with is the one I will see last. Right? It wasn't as bad for Linda as what my brain was telling me. But it wasn't good. For Isaac, it was really bad. So I finally told Linda, I said, okay, I'm going to go with Isaac. And, of course, she did have about 60 people in the church right here uh, with her. So I felt like she probably was going to be okay. Um, so I get in my car and I, and I, I see the ambulance pulling out of the parking lot and I don't know where this is. This is pre GPS, right? This is 10 years before GPS. I didn't, I didn't even know the address of the hospital. I just knew it was in Shreveport. So I got to follow this ambulance. And so I get in my car and I'm taking off the Amazon scene way up the road. And by now it's already dark, um, for the next night. Um, so, so the ambulance pulls out. And I'm trying to follow him, and I see him, and I just go as fast as I can get my Honda to go. And, uh, and I'm, I'm at, at about 120, the ambulance leaves me. And now I'm on this dark road somewhere between on the, around the Louisiana border in Texas, and um, I don't know where this hospital is. I don't know anything. And, and very clearly... God comes into that car with me and says, if you remember, last night I told you I would take care of your family. I had forgotten that. I don't know how I forgot that. But see, here's the reality. God, we didn't know anything was wrong the night before. But God not only had me praying specifically about it, he knew all the details before we knew anything and he was preparing me and the last thing that I knew God put in my spirit was, I'm going to take care of your family. And I'm on this road by myself. I'm just a kid. I know 25 is an adult. I'm, I'm not, we're adults, right? But, I mean, I'm just a 25-year-old kid out there by myself and my son is not going to live and I don't know what to do. I'm leaving my wife And God said, but remember, I told you I'm going to take care of your family. 
So I actually had to stop a couple places to figure out where this hospital was. Back in those days, you asked people. Unless you're a man, but I was a man in tragedy, so there was a reason. So, <clears throat> so I get to the hospital, and by then they've already got Isaac in. They're, they've been doing uh, some surgery on him. They, they did a pneumothorax. Um, so some of you probably know what that is, but they cut his side open right here, and they stuck a tube into his lungs, and um, that's so he can breathe. And now every single year, Isaac is 26 years old, every single year, On Isaac's birthday, Linda goes and tells him the same silly little story. And when he was younger, he would act like he didn't want to hear it. I know, Mom. God rescued me. This is where Jesus touched me. And that's what we call that little cut on his side. That's where Jesus touched you. And every year, she wakes him up and says, Isaac, guess what happened today, however many years ago? And she tells him the whole story all over again. Now, he acts like he doesn't want to hear it, but he loves hearing it. He loves it. And um, he loved it this morning in first service when I told this. So they've done the surgery. They've done the pneumothorax. He's tiny, tiny, tiny little. And now my parents came up. I think we'd been there maybe two days. By that time, they could get there. And my parents came in. This was a very um, sobering moment for me because I, I had not really thought this part through exactly like this. When my mom walks in. She walks up to the bed there where Isaac is, and the doctor is there, a um, Hindu man from India. And, uh, and he's standing there, and she walks up to him and kind of spins him around, you know, like that, and, and said... Is this baby going to live? And it caught my attention. I was a few feet away, and it caught my attention because I, what do you mean is he going to live? Of course he's going to live. I hadn't, thought, I hadn't thought through that. And the doctor said, well, Mrs. Bottoms, right now, we don't know for sure. That got me. And so every day I would come to this doctor, every morning, I would come to this doctor and I would say, can I take my baby home today? And he said no because, the, because of the, the, uh, how early he was, he said that, that Isaac was going to have to be in this ICU unit for at least those five weeks and probably a couple months longer, but definitely that five weeks that he was premature. And there were babies all over this ICU, by the way. And you know something, I didn't mention this in first service, but the the doctor came to us as we were taking Isaac home, and he said, you know, most of these babies in here, there's probably 30 or 40 babies all through this ICU. He said, most of these babies, nobody ever comes to see them. He said, most of these babies, once they get, once they're born and, they're and, it's, um, and it's very, very bad like this, the parents write them off, and they don't come see them. So I actually went around, and I got in trouble for this every single day. I went around and I prayed for every baby. And the doctor kept telling me, Mr. Bottoms, you're only allowed to be at your baby. <laughs> and I said, I, I know, I understand. And then he would leave and I would go pray for the babies. <laughs> and uh, my pastor was up there 
My pastor would spend hours every day praying for Isaac. And not, he wouldn't talk to anybody, wouldn't do it. He'd just sit there by that bed and pray for him. Pray in the spirit, pray loudly in tongues. And I could hear him praying for all those other babies too, but he just wasn't as bold as I was. <laughs> and every day I would come to that doctor and I would say, Doctor, can I take my baby home today? He said, No, Mr. Bottoms, it's going to be five weeks and then we will talk about it. On the eighth day, I came to him and I said, Doctor, can I take my baby home today? And he said, yes, you can. And I said, what? And he said, I want to tell you this. Practicing Hindu, he said, your God has touched this baby. And we took him home on the eighth day. So... <clears throat> So here's the question I have for you. Why would Jesus do that for me and not do that for you? What, what makes me different or special? We say, well, you're a pastor. You really think God's got a checklist up there? Okay, pastor, you get two, two bonus points. A missionary, you get three or four. We know that they probably get more than pastors, right? And, uh, well, you've been, you've been a Christian for 20 years. That's a, a bonus point per year. You think God's got a list like that? See, I just read to you where some parents brought their children to Jesus. There was no criteria. There was no, you got special privilege, you got something. And see, this is, let, let, me, let me show you something. I, I, I don't think, well, I don't know how people deal with the stuff of life without Jesus. I've dealt with too much stuff in my life, and, and there's sometimes when it's taken me to my knees in such a brokenness, I, I couldn't have made it without Jesus. I had years ago, and I've heard this many times since then, but years ago, this guy told me, he says, well, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a crutch. And I thought, I do. I need crutches. I need walkers. I need wheelchairs. I need whatever Jesus can bring to my life. Because I'm not big enough to handle life like this. I'm not big enough to handle the things. People come in and tell me, Pastor, we need help. And then they begin to tell their story. And I can't, I can't handle it. It's too big. But I do know that Jesus can handle it. That's, that's the point of this is that Jesus is standing right here, right now, I believe this, just saying, if you will just let go of your life and let me have it. And I believe his hand is right there just waiting to put his hand on our head and bless us. And we're slapping his hand away. Because we got to, I can take care of my life. I'm in charge. I can do this. I've had, I've had seasons of my life where I really thought I was all that, and I was the one in charge, and I'm doing this, and every time I get to that point, it is, it is destruction waiting to happen, and it all comes crashing down. And the, and the greatest moments of my life when God does stuff is when I have said, I can't. I don't, I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have the whatever. I just let you be in charge. How do you do this thing called life without Jesus? 
I, I'm not being facetious. I, I don't know. I see people and I feel sorry for them because they're trying to do this without Jesus. I know this is not the popular way to say this nowadays, but it seems like everywhere I go, in the grocery store, in the restaurants, everywhere, that, that all the boys and girls are trying to be the opposite. And the boys are wearing makeup and fingernail polish. And they're acting as girly as they can. That hurts my heart so much. It hurts me. Because they're trying to do this in themselves. And it's painful when you try to do it yourself. It's harmful when you're trying to do it. So it's debilitating when you try to do it yourself. You live in a lie that Satan tells you. He, he builds a life for you, and then you live in that. How is that beneficial? How is that good? And we do the same thing even in the Christian world oftentimes. We know Jesus has died for our sins. We know he did this. And so we pray just enough to get him close to us and forgiven, but we're, we don't just abandon ourselves in him. We don't just pursue him. Guys, God wants to speak to you all the time. As strongly as I can say this, if he hasn't spoken to you recently, that's your problem. It's your fault. Get before him. Pursue him. Get with him until he speaks to you. You say, well, what if, that, what if he doesn't? You didn't hear what I said. Get before him until he does. Guess what the end result of that is? He speaks to you. You say, what if it takes hours? Is it worth it? That's the question for you. Is it worth it? What if it takes days? We have examples of that in Scripture where it took days. But it was not only worth it to them, it was worth it to us because we get to read about it. The third thing, God knows everything about us. Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all you who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. I, I know this by faith for me, right? But I know it practically with my son. And we remind him, we remind him in first service, him and his wife were here and I had everybody come up and pray. And I said, now we're going to have people pray for them. Isaac was standing over here and I said, Isaac, you've got to pray for somebody. This whole message has been about you. You know how to pray about this more than anybody in this room. He did. He's over there crying. I'm like, ha, gotcha. I know for my son the Lord has cared for him since he was born. Look at this. I carried you before you were born. I know for my son. I, I embrace it by faith with me. I'm not saying it's, it's, um, it's not the same for me. It is, except that I know it for my son. Because the night before, God is keeping me for hours focused on one prayer for my family. And then he says, now I got it. You can go rest. And so, my son has no excuse. We tell him all the time. He knew you before you were born because he talked to me about you before you were born. 
I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you and I will care for you. And I will carry you along and I will save you. Guys, we have to embrace this. I think we resist this. It's so easy in human nature to resist this. And we live our life, our ways, what we want. Instead of saying, okay, God, my hair's getting whitish, and you are carrying me still. You're carrying me. You've taken care of me. For 51 years, you're taking care of me. You're not going to stop now, you're going to continue. This is who you are. The fourth thing, God wants to do the supernatural in all our lives. Exodus 34.10, the Lord replied, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. You know what I did after, uh, after this whole thing with Isaac? This was months after that. I started looking through the Bible for an example of exactly what I went through. Did you know there's not one? There's not one exactly like that in the Bible. There's some close, but there's not one exactly like that. Now, I know as I say this, you're going to say, yeah, but God's done that with many other people over the years. I'm not denying that, but I have no written record of it. God did a miracle just for me, unique to me and my son. Just say, yeah, but not listening. La, 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 la. Do you know that God wants to do something with you that is just you? It's not, it's not everybody. It's you. But you got to let your guard down, and you got to pursue him. Not pursue the stuff about him, but pursue him. Whatever you put as number one in your pursuit of life is what... You will, that, that will be your existence. You, that's what you will achieve. If you, if you pursue this job or this situation or, or power or money, whatever, you, you potentially are going to achieve that stuff. And if you pursue God, you'll achieve exactly what he wants you to achieve, the way he wants you to achieve it. But you've got to pursue him. I'm going to read it again. It will perform, I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. Part of the reason I'm telling this story is because of that right there. You realize that the ultimate, the ultimate of everything is that Jesus is showing us himself. The reason he... The reason he heals Isaac is because he was showing us himself, right? Because you're going to go through difficult times. You're going to go through times that may be similar to this. And you can say, remember when pastor told that story? Remember when that happened? Guys, remember, we all have years and years worth of when he didn't. But if you want to stay there, you stay there. But I choose not to. And every year... We tell Isaac the, this is what Jesus did side of the life. Because I'm not going to stay there. Jesus did this. And I've got plenty of stories in the scripture to back it up. John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. I think most Christians want to believe that, but I think it's, it's almost impossible for a human being to believe it. You've got to have the Holy Spirit help you. You cannot believe that within yourself. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name. And I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Some of you have been praying for many years for the same need. And it hasn't happened. Please don't give up. Don't give up. You say, yeah, but it's been... Don't give up. Go back to Jesus like a brand new little child. Say, Jesus, you can throw me all the way over that tree. And just, just do the best you can to say, I'm asking you for this, Jesus, in your name. Sing with me if you would. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for some needs. I'm summoning you here. You just really need God to do something. It's bigger than you. That's, again, that's the place you start with prayer. Is it bigger than you? Okay. So you need a need answered. Jesus is the one that can do it. So that's what we're going to expect him to do this morning. And as you're coming forward, maybe, maybe your first prayer is, Lord, help me to just have a brand new naive faith. Just a child faith that you can do anything. I pray that often. Lord, help me not to think about what you can't do. Help me only think about what you can do. And then we're going to pray for you. And we're going to trust that God's going to do some miracles this morning. So let me pray real quick. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts. Lord, I believe there is a, an expectation of faith in this room right now. I know there is for me, Lord, because my son is 26. So God, I know you can do anything. I watched you do it. Lord, I ask you all through this room, build our faith. Just build our faith. That we're just going to pursue you and the things of you. In Jesus' name. So let me invite you down here. You've got a need. We're going to have people pray for you. So just come stand along the front. And uh, we're going to have people come behind you. And... Um, pray for you and to trust and believe that God can do something. No reason to wait around for me to ask four or five times. Just go ahead and come down. And now we're going to have people pray. Just kind of move up so people can get behind you. Think about all the different needs that are going on right here. 
and how God can instantaneously take care of every one of them and how many billions of people around the world are asking God right now and he's supernaturally touching every single person at the same time. That's, a, I, that's amazing. And it's also very true. God, we lift these needs up to you. Lord, we know that you hear. Lord, we see in your scripture where our prayers are, are literal physical things that can be seen by you. And so, Lord, we ask you to answer these needs. Whatever's going on up here, God, we know that you are, you, are, you knew it long before they did. You knew last night what they were going to come up here and pray for this morning. You knew last night. God, you knew a year ago. You knew before they were born, while they were still in the womb, you knew. And you already had the answer. You already had the miracle. You just wanted them to ask. So that's what we're doing, Lord. We're asking. In Jesus' name. Jesus, you are hope where there is no hope. You bring life where there is no life. Lord, you bring the answers when we're totally confused. You take care of our needs even when we don't know there are needs. So Lord, we ask you just to reach out right now and every one of us in this room, every person at the front up here being prayed for and praying, Lord, just reach out your hand, put it on their head, and just bless them right now. And bless them with you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power, your presence. In the name of Jesus. Lord, and I make this promise, this dedication to you. I will pursue you. I will pursue you to the exclusion of anything else that tries to take that place. I will pursue you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to walk in your power. I want your word to explode in my life. I pursue you. I pursue you. Lord, I pursue your conviction. How you want, what you want to do and how you want to do it. In the name of Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. God, I receive that. God, I ask you to make that happen. Lord, I believe that's your will and plan for us. I believe it strongly. So God, help us to be bold in you, humble before you, and seeking you. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence, your plan. God, take us from here full of your Spirit. Lord, give us opportunities this week to pursue you. And out of that, Lord, I believe you'll give us opportunities to minister to people, pray for people, to witness for people. Lord, we want somebody to know that you love them. Not just that you love us, but you love them too. So give us those opportunities, Lord. We'll do everything we can to jump right in the middle of that. In the name of Jesus. You guys can keep praying as long as you desire. If you guys need to take off, you can, but let's be respectful to these up here praying.